can't believe you. What? I can't believe you would think that I wouldn't like this movie. Oh, <laughs> I oh. wasn't sure. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I had so much fun watching this. So much. Yeah, it's a ride. <laughs> I, I mean, there's a lot of cryptic things going on. I'll, I will let you kind of guide this discussion as this is your bread and butter. But uh, mm -hmm. She Never Died is on the bill for tonight for today, whenever you are listening. And we are really melanated. And I'm excited about this. Let's do it. Yeah, so um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a synopsis of She Never Died. It is about a woman named Lacey, who is a street person, and she's actually an immortal being. And um, she only, so that means she's uh, basically like a cannibal. Um, so she eats people. However, she only eats people who are basically the worst kind of humans. Um, and then we have a detective, Detective Godfrey, who is after a particular criminal. Um, uh, his name is Terrence. And Terrence, along with his sister Meredith, run a human trafficking um, and snuff video business. So um, Detective Godfrey is after them. And so uh, Detective Godfrey and Lacey's paths cross, and he decides to enlist her in finding and eating or getting rid of Terrence. And in the midst of that, um, Lacey rescues a young woman named Susie, and they all kind of become embroiled in this plot of getting rid of the worst human beings out there. Uh, she Never Died was directed by Audrey Cummings, who is a wonderful Canadian director who I will talk about a little bit later. Um, I love her to death. Um, and the film stars uh, Olenike Adeli as Lacey, Peter McNeil as Godfrey, Kiana Madeira as Susie, Michelle Nolden as Meredith, Noah Dalton Danby as Terrence, and Katie Messina as Janice. Um, so, yeah, that's the, basically the plot of the film. I didn't want to get too much into the plot because I think we'll get into it more as we're talking about it but I will talk about why I chose this film because I am a programmer at the Blood in the Snow Film Festival um, and we showcase Canadian genre film so it's thriller sci-fi horror and Audrey Cummings is our Vanguard Award recipient from from 2019 and she's played the festival three times she's got a film called Berkshire County which is called Tormented I believe in the U.S. Um, Darkin and now um, she never died. So she's a wonderful director, wonderful person. And I just really loved the film also because I'm a bit of a fan of Olunike Adelie. So um, what did you think about it besides having fun with it, Ashley? <clears throat> well, it's hard to put into words. Um, I'm still processing it. I just saw it just for the first time recently because for a while it wasn't available in the U.S., and it's been, yeah, because I think when you first started talking about it, what was it, maybe a year? More more than a year you have yeah. been talking about this film. I think I just recently recognized the fact that it's, it's available here. It's on Tubi for free if you have it. Uh, that's a free download, free everything. And also you can rent it as well. But yeah, so it was. it took a long time and then stuff got in the way and I forgot about it. And then you brought it up to talk about, so... Okay, he's like, make sure you can watch it in the U.S. I'm like, yes, finally we can. So um, I'm still mulling over what I what I watched. I'm still 
like some elements about it that I really, really enjoyed was I like that it was cryptic. I like that I like when films don't give us too much. And I like that we're kind of like playing with the ideas of who this mysterious person is in our head. Like I'm just like, is she an angel? Is she a fallen angel? AKA a demon? You know, what um what kind of like uh surreal or magical realistic realistic <laughs> uh being is she? Um also I guess we'll get into it, but like, yeah, I'm just kind of thinking out loud. Like, we're obviously we're gonna get into more of the even the racial dynamics of it, or the racial optics is the better term because there's not there's not, there's not racial dynamics in this film, but the optics of having characters of color in this film, especially a black woman, and you have a dark skinned black woman with this very with, with her natural hair, um, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because I what stood at one of the scenes that stood out to me is that when they do chain her up again, they put her in chains, you know, it, the, these, the, the optics of these things, these things change and they're different when it's, it's a character of color and the care, the, the female human trafficker, who well, I'm terrible with names right now. So I just saw this movie for the first time, but like, she doesn't refer to her as a person. Like it's always, I think she refers to her as like an it, or like she yes. doesn't she doesn't humanize this per this person um whether she's a supernatural being or not it's you don't she i don't think that character really knows that or knows what she's looking at but and now she may she may do this to the people that they're trafficking uh at large right however mm-hmm. in this scene i'm looking at it as a black female spectator and i'm seeing this white woman um disassociate this this being as being a human being if that makes any sense so these are kind of things i'm kind of looking at and i i i I deeply appreciate um also like this this movie is not about race but again it's you can you can have a racial discourse about it because of olenike is that did i pronounce pronounce the name correct yeah so um who I loved her in a Christmas horror story. She's I think she's great, and I want to see her do all the things. I hope she gets a U.S. crossover. I hope that happens. Um, but yeah, like these, and I and I love the girl that she rescued. She has a very um, another uh, callback to your Canadian shows, Lost Girl. She reminds me of Kenzie from that show. Um, and oh, right. In the way she is, and she also kind of looks like Eliza Dushku, which kind of threw me off a little bit. Yeah, she does, right? She yeah. really does. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like that. You know, she was just she. I like the emotional um, element of that. Again, again, this you're 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 filling in the backstory as it's going along. Like the movie is giving you mm-hmm. is art, is doing what a film should do. It's just going. It's showing you enough but it's giving you just enough context but not spoon feeding you this idea it's making you it's making your brain think about the narrative and the, the emotional um depth and uh stakes that are for all of these characters involved and even the cop who is an interesting character again he had a backstory that, did, that we didn't like get a floodgate of we just like you get enough to kind of say okay this is this is kind of a broken guy who who is who seems to see who seems to have sought after justice all of his life that it kind of costed him his personal life his livelihood his family and I was I was thrown off by his name being Godfrey because I follow Godfrey the comedian so I'm just like it's interesting seeing like is Godfrey a Nigerian name like I'm just trying to figure out and he also and also there's a lot of like this 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 movie seems to like also exist in the alternative universe just based on the fact that like. You tell me. I don't know if Canadian cops are like, first of all, he looks like he should have retired 20 years ago, number one. Number two, why are you going in dangerous situations without backup? See, I watch too many cop procedures. I, I'm not I'm not ashamed to say that, you know? So that's that's kind of like, so all these things I'm kind of like thinking about as I'm watching this film, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to enjoy kind of going back and forth with you about it because I'm, process, I'm, for, I'm watching this for the first time and kind of processing everything I just saw. Well, yeah, because, okay, that's a really good point you bring up, because um, I feel like he's just one of those those um, detectives that, you know, I mean, he's not treated very well at work. You know, his boss is, like, um, not nice to him. Um, and he's also kind of, he just seems like one of those guys that just won't leave a particular case alone. You know, he just mm-hmm. won't do it. And, and, you know, his boss wants him to move on. He's got other things to deal with. 
and I feel like that shows a little bit of his character as well, where he 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 cares about the cases, you know, he cares. And that's what I think piques his interest with Lacey, because first of all, he first encounters Lacey when he's watching Terrence and he sees Lacey go in mm-hmm. and she actually this really good scene too it's like the one of the first scenes where Lacey goes into this like um they're filming a snuff video and um this guy is being forced to shoot a dog and oh I'll let God, you know right, right away yeah yeah nothing happens to the dog so just letting people know who are sensitive to that Oh no! It's supposed to be like oh, like when I was watching, I was like, oh my god! I was like, literally having like a freak out. Like I'm just like, please don't hurt the dog. Yeah, <laughs> and I have to give a shout out to the guy who is playing the guy who being being forced to shoot the dog. His name is Steve Kazan. He is literally in everything. He was in um, Life Changer, which is a, a Canadian uh, horror film by Justin McConnell. Um, it's doing really well. It's doing well in Europe, and and it's a really it's a great film. And Steve is like literally in everything. And any short film that's being made in in Canada, he's in it. So shout out to him. But yes, so the scene where yeah, Lacey interrupts this, and she gets shot in the head, and she lets the dog go, and she pulls out. <laughs> the guy's eyes and it's like you know it's a snack comes out and detective godfrey is like the hell this woman her head's blasted open but she's just walking away you know and not only does he he kind of like what the hell but then once he starts working with Lacey, he 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 he's concerned and i mean he offers her a place to live and like that's a person with a really a you know, kindness to them, even though he may seem like old and grizzled and, and what have you. And Lacey seems really, uh, the way she moves and the way she talks and her mannerisms, she seems very, again, like, I think the word is disaffected by uh, human beings. And mm. she, see, she seems like someone who has been around for a very, very long time. Now, I know it's called She's, She Never Died, but again, uh, um, Olenike, I keep yeah. <laughs> hoping it's, yeah, I just feel like she, she's a masterclass in this movie because she, like, you know, the title is referring to her character, but it re- you really feel like this is not, uh, this isn't, this is someone or this is something you can say, maybe, that's just not, she's very different from everyone else in this movie. And I think she's supposed to, I think she's supposed to have that distinction. And so her interactions with um, Godfrey, it's really interesting because I think when she first goes in, she sees him and it's this weird, awkward exchange um, just with their, the eye contact. And then she goes in anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And again, she's also, we also took, again, the other way she's very different and beyond being a human is the idea of her like she tells Godfrey straight up what she does not that she she never reveals what she is um but what she does and I think she even says why she does it if I remember correctly she does and she does it with a blank face with no she does she's not concerned about the consequences of her actions uh because she's doing everything she's doing I I don't know if what her moral compass is like she has a specific target but she's also uh doing what she's doing as a means for survival it seems and but also i think what really layers her character with 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 all of that with all of her mannerisms and the way she um, talks to people she has no filter but also when the dog comes back around at the end of the movie and she's like having this like she verbally has this kind of tug of war where she's like oh shit and she's just like you know i, I told you to go and the dog's like no you saved me be my mommy and she says, "Okay, we can we can we can ride together." And I, of course, I love that because I'm the dog person. So like, yeah. love, 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 love. So there's there's also that component to her where she's still like, "Okay, I'll, I'll take in a friend." It's 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 mm-hmm. there's she there's she's very much human, but also beyond human. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I re- yeah, I think that's a really good observation because she, you know, um, when we um screen this at the film festival there was a Q&A after and um Olenike was saying that she really studied um 
like, you know, predatory behavior. Um, and like, she also did her own stunts and everything. She was, she's in it. Like Olenike is when she takes a role, she's in it. So, um, she really studied, she really wanted to make this character, as you said, be kind of separated from humanity as well, because she's been around for so long and she's an immortal being. It's, it's kind of hard to relate to humans sometimes on that level. And I think the character of Susie reminds her of that because, you know, Susie's like, hey, you know, she's, yeah, I love the scene where Susie's trying to figure out how to ask her to stay. <laughs> hey, what are you doing tonight? Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? And like that, that touch of humanity and humor. And like, this is a really darkly funny film, too. Yes. Yeah, it's really funny. And Olenike does that deadpan, you know, like when she's at the restaurant and the, 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 the owner comes and fills her tea with coffee. Oh, she's man. That was cool. <laughs> you know? I was going to say. Yeah. No, my next my next thing was going to be like, um, next time I go to a diner, I'm just going to order and be like, oatmeal. I'm just going to say yeah. oatmeal. <laughs> oatmeal, yep. <laughs> and he's like, you don't want the steak, the big port, there's ribs. And she's like, no, just oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. And like her performance is like, and I have to also inter- um, add that the um, the person that wrote She Never Died his name is uh, John Krasik, and he directed and wrote the film um, He Never Died, which is, so She Never Died is kind of a sister film. It's from the same universe. They're the same type of being, but He Never Died um, stars uh, Henry Henry Rollins, and that was filmed in 2015, I believe. So Henry Rollins is, we were introduced to this universe where Henry Rollins is this um, uh, immortal being, and he's very solitary. He, you know, does the same thing, eats people who are bad. And then he gets kind of pulled back into being more um, of a human when he has to rescue his daughter. So um, that's kind of an interesting, you know, aspect of this world where they're, they're basically solitary beings, but they have to be pulled back into the world of feeling and, and being human because you can imagine if you've lived for hundreds, thousands of years, you probably endured a lot of hurt and opened yourself up to people and then see them die. And then you have to, you know, kind of take care of yourself again because you've lost this person. And, you know, there's a lot of loss, I would imagine, if you're an immortal. So the, they both kind of are pulled back into the, uh, the human world when there's kind of no choice. And I think um, uh, John Krasik really captured that with the humor he captured humanity and humor within the script so yeah absolutely um yeah i just feel like that's always inevitable i think for an immortal person you're always going to unless like unless you go into extreme isolation and i mean like literally isolation where you're completely removed from all people um and that's just not the case for lacy and it's it's almost yeah like i said it's, it's it almost feels inevitable that you're going to cross paths with a human being and that human being is going to push no matter how much you don't want that and you may give in because there's still a human person you're there's still a part of you that has that same kind of human um desire and motivation and even um uh, i wanted to mention on the darkly comedic tip of it, which I'm glad you brought up because yeah, I, I had like again when I said I had fun, like I had I found some things really funny, but also what I found astronomically terrifying and what I fear every day when I leave my own house is human trafficking of being someone abducting me off of the street. Like that is terrifying and be taken to a place where you're tortured, like that saw um hostile shit. Like I, I'm I, that really that's one of my biggest fears. Like, I, I don't think I've ever said this publicly. I'm just going to say it. Um, I lost out on a trip to Europe, a free trip to Europe because of those movies. I'm just like, nope, not as a single woman. I want to go. I want to explore. I want to live life. But I'm scared shitless of that stuff, kind of stuff. I'm like, nope, nope. I, like, I'm not, like, if I do that, I'm not going alone. I'm just not going to do that. Anymore. I'm not, I just, I, I just, I'm, I'm too, like, I'm just petrified. Because that, that's one of my biggest fears. But it's true. I mean, I went over there with my a friend when I was like 21 and 
completely clueless. So, and we talked about it before, but you know, I could like, I was alone for a part of it and who knows the people I was a nanny for, they could have sold me. Who knows? You know, <laughs> I it could have been out. some martyr's tip, right? Like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. true. It's true. Well, listen, that's like my, I hear my mother's voice. <laughs> I know what they're going to do with my girl children. She's like, you are my girl child. <laughs> you know? And I mean, it brings up also, um, I feel like Lacey is the embodiment of women and women's anger and black women's anger and being forced to fight for ourselves and having really no advocates, you know, like I was just talking to uh, um, Mark, my partner about this British woman that got murdered. She went, I guess she was going home and ended up being a police officer. Mm -hmm. And then like, now it's this whole thing about women and, and, and it's bringing up to to light again violence against women and it's you know we live with this all the time we we have to always look over our shoulder and like in the before times when i used to go out and coming home late at night i was you know check my surroundings and it's just a thing we do so i totally get that you know that fear would stop you from doing things because it's like you have your wits about you but you can only do so much and it always falls on the woman to protect herself. Right. I feel like we're not really protected per se, especially as black women. I mean, forget it. <laughs> so yeah, it's a really good point that you bring up about being afraid and like that whole human trafficking thing. Absolutely. It's a gamble getting into a lift. It's um, I don't even like when lift drivers watch me go through my, go into my apartment, but I know that they're doing that nine, 9.9 times out of 10 to make sure that I'm safe. Not all of them do it. Mm-hmm. Some do. Um, but that still makes me nervous that they're even looking, um, you know, uh, it's, you know, at night, it, it doesn't matter what time of the day before I open the door to my, to my apartment building. I always look to see if anyone is around. Uh, yeah, I have to take all these precautions. I carry pepper spray. Um, I remember a few years ago, my mother was going to buy me a stun gun. Like that's how, that's how serious she was as, you know, as a a parent, (laughs) you know, um, and she was like, it's illegal in Pennsylvania, but I'm going to buy it for you anyway, because they not my daughter and you got to be on the street. So, (laughs) you know, so she did like, she was willing to break the law to make sure that I came home every night. You know what I mean? So yeah, you're right. It's, we have to. And I've I've had experiences that like in the past being younger and yeah being feeling like feeling being a black woman and not feeling protected by people who I thought would protect me or if we, or would you know defend me or would you know do these things that I can't I couldn't always do for myself and yeah sometimes um, I don't know I don't care how anachronistic this sounds but yeah sometimes I want to be protected sometimes I want somebody to defend me I think that's important. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember, I don't know, this is years ago, and I had gone to an event. um, And it was like a wine and cheese event. So of course, I had several glasses of wine. And we had like a gift gift bag. And there was a corkscrew, a wine opener with a corkscrew. And um, I was on the subway coming home. And there was this woman and she was, there's this creepy guy just kind of like, he had squashed her up against like a subway like she was sitting against like the partition and he was like his legs were spread it was just really creepy and she was like like basically like curling herself up in a corner and I was getting pissed because I was looking at this guy and he's looking at me like what are you gonna do and I'm like you're making that young lady uncomfortable I got up in his grill and and then I I don't know I was saying to um Mark like I don't know if it was something in my voice but I'm like I think you should move and he did. <laughs> wow, I love it. But like, you know, even the young woman was like too, she was, I don't know if she was ashamed. I don't know what it was, but she couldn't look at me and she was terrified. Mm-hmm. And then, then I was thinking, oh my God, what did you just do? Like, and then I thought about the corkscrew. I'm like, if he follows me, I'll put the corkscrew. But you have to like, think, go through these steps about, you know, being a woman. And I'm like, if he follows that girl, I'm following him. And I was just like, right. what, yeah. what are you doing? I think I had liquid courage, but also it was like, <laughs> I am not. If this guy goes after this girl, 
it's on, you know? Mm -hmm. And I've been harassed on public transit and nobody's done anything for me. So I feel like, I mean, obviously there's the Good Samaritan kind of where you could get killed or you could, but I'm not going to go down watching somebody, another woman get harassed. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it. No, that was a great thing you did. Because my my next question was, I want to see the World Star videos where, yeah, a guy is harassing a girl and then there's a bunch of people, it doesn't matter the gender, like stomp ones, that guy. Because those those videos I'm sure probably exist. But yeah, I, live with courage or not, no, that's a great thing to do. And that was going to be also my next thought. My next thought about this is like, we need to, I think we we should do that more. We should like mm. as a people like stay like when this kind of stuff happens like stand up more for people and and people do do it. Um, there's a lot of um, stories that I'm sure we ne- will never even hear where people do intervene yeah. when someone is being harassed. Like um, like again like I was I was listening to a podcast and one um, comedian was talking about being in Times Square and defending a kid who was getting harassed by this guy. Like this guy was just looking for a fight unnecessarily. And the kid was like super apologetic and really scared. And this comedian kind of like got got in got in the way of it and, tra- and stopped it. And he was like, "Kid, just go." Um, and Kate was apparently super grateful to her. And then she started arguing with the guy, and it was funny. I don't, I don't know if I ever told the story on the podcast, but forgive me if I did because it it, it it goes with what we're talking about. But I like it because. Like, you got to the point, because they're in the Times Square, so it's super crowded. This is, again, the before times. And so, um, you know, people want to intervene because they think they, they see a fight between a man and a woman. But no, she goes, mind your fucking business, I got this. And so they keep going back and forth. And when, when, when they finally walk away, he throws his McDonald's milkshake at her head. And then she <laughs> apparently chases him for two blocks. <laughs> That was oh it was such God. a great story, but it was a story about watching someone in trouble and going to their and, and and using your advantage, using your courage, but also using your weight and height advantage to squash the situation. You know, so and you doing that too. I mean, I think at the, at this point in my life, I would do that for a woman as well. I don't see. Um, because we're not out as much as we used to, but even on the train, I didn't see women getting harassed like that. Like, um, but yeah, as an adult now, yeah, I would definitely stop. I would definitely stop it. And I would have probably, I would have probably done the exact same thing he did. Well, yeah. I mean, you gotta, yeah, I don't know. It's just, and I feel like, um, like Lacey's character is, is, you know, I mean, she, and it's funny because she knows what Terrence um, and his sister Meredith are doing is doing is, is wrong. She's mm-hmm. focused on Terrence though specifically because he has long femurs, and the bone marrow in that is probably just delicious. For her, right? <laughs> <laughs> and plus, he's doing bad stuff. He's a bad person. So the combination for her is like, ah, he's like the best catch. He's the catch of the day. Mm-hmm. So because Godfrey wants him gone. And he knows, you know, Lacey needs some some snacks. They're they're the perfect combination to kind of stop this guy and and the bad stuff he's doing. But like she has like I feel like she's somewhat neutral in terms of morals, but she but not because I guess because she's so she seems so unfeeling. Mm-hmm. That it, she just kind of is is a very matter of fact. Okay, I want this guy because he's doing bad things and he's got you know the bone marrow that I want, so I'm gonna get rid of him. And and even when she goes, um, when she first discovers Susie and Godfrey's told her to go and and kill these particular guys, and she holds up the picture and she's like, "Do you have glasses?" When the guy answers the door, he's like, "What?" And then she smashes in. She kills him, and then she sees the glasses on the table, and she's like, oh, okay, good. I did get the right guy, you know? Like, <laughs> moments like that where she's – and that she kind of sees the, the girl, Susie, and she leaves her. She calls Godfrey, and she's like, yeah, there's a, a problem, though. There's a girl. She's like, what do you want me to do with her? So it's just really interesting how she revolves between separating herself and then getting involved, you know, it's, it's, I'm telling you, she, it was, as you're saying, masterclass in the way she, uh, Olenike portrayed Lacey, just so brilliant. Yeah, because Susie, she does that thing, 
It reminded me of like Terminator too, because she does that like she does that thing where Susie's telling her stay away from me because she's scared and she doesn't know who Lacey is. And Lacey, I think she just goes okay, like and just walks yeah. out. So she <laughs> just kind of like has that kind of robotic like I'm just gonna do what you're telling me to do, and I'm not gonna yeah. give it any more thought. And then I was just like, and I thought, and obviously because I'm watching the movie, I thought, well, that was stupid, but I probably would have had the same reaction if I was Susie because everything is so unpredictable. I'm tied to, like, I'm chained to, what, a chair or something? And I'm just like, yeah, just, there's a lot going on. And um, yeah, and then she does eventually go back and lets her go. Mm-hmm. And then that's when they start to, well, Susie latches on <laughs> and will not leave Lacey alone and I don't know. I thought it was really, it was, it was cute. And I think Susie is also a great um, device in the story for Lacey to open up, you Mm -hmm. know, because it's two women. Susie feels protected by her. um, And, you know, Lacey starts to feel, if I could use that word, like protective of Susie, but, and like, you know, maybe she's just kind of, she will help her out in, reaching her goal of of getting to Terrence, you know? So I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and she has this kind of um I watched this on the show, again, a very antiquated show in the 2021 context, um called Rescue Me. And it was interesting because that's a that's a show about firefighters and basically one of the firefighters, he saves somebody from a fire. It's another man and that man just becomes so attached to him. Like there's a time like he he's like and he just wants to do everything for him. He wants to be around him all the time. And I think that is some sort of, um, that can happen. If you mm. save someone's life, I forget what it's called. I think on, on, on the show, I think they do kind of talk about, they talk about, they talk about it clinically. Like they, it's some sort of, some sort of term for that behavior that happens after a particular event, like being, like your life being saved by someone unfortunately yeah. forgive me i don't know what that is but i feel like i got that vibe from Susie as well and that's one of the reasons why she wanted to why she latched on to lacy so easily yeah actually i was just talking about this the other day too it's like they did it on the flintstones too <laughs> <laughs> remember when fred saves that guy i can't remember and then he couldn't get rid of him <laughs> i have not watched the flintstones since i was what six oh, years old <laughs> i remember that one anyway digressing here (laughs) um but yeah um I also wanted to talk about like how Lacey represents uh like black women's anger and like the rage we carry and how her performance is you know we have to put on this face like we're not angry we have to be careful around people like we can't show our emotions because we'll be if we 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 stand up for ourselves, we're one type of person. If we're if we're um, too weak, we're another type of person. Um, if we're get angry, we're obviously the angry angry black woman. And I really like that the character, like she just embodies that um, that rage and that it comes out, you know. Because again, we have to suppress our emotions to make other people feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that Lacey has to, she, she's a street person. She hides out in the, on the street. Um, she only unleashes her power when necessary. Um, it's just a really interesting, I guess, characterization. And I don't really know that that character was written as black. I, I should have asked. Um, I've talked to Audrey a few times and she's so lovely, the director. And I should have asked her if that character was actually intended to be black. But, you know, as you were saying before, Ashley, when you put when you you write a character and the you cast a black actor, it automatically has layers. So, yeah, I don't know what you thought about that. Yes. Like like I was saying before, I don't think anyone could have played this character. So I'm going to guess that this character wasn't intended to be black. That's how it feels to me. Yeah, I think so too. I well, because I mean, look at the um, the first film, uh, Henry Rollins, right? And he's kind of an unexpected person to be in that role too, although he fits it perfectly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just I really like the choice of of Olenike as, and actually Olenike and Audrey have worked together 
um, she was in Darkin, um, which was a 2017 film, and they just have a really good rapport with each other. Yeah, I just really like them as a duo, so I hope that they end up working together in the future. I really like how, and I, I'm pretty sure they have a shorthand in terms of working with each other. So because they're so comfortable with each other, I think that also helps with the performances. Yes. You know? um, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I love, I'm sorry. I just have a, yeah. a okay, <laughs> fangirl moment. Fangirl moment with Olin E.K. Okay, so I first saw her in a film, I think it was from 2011, called French Immersion. And it's about these um, Anglophones going to a small Quebec town to learn how to speak in, uh, speak French. And it's a comedy. It's like a Canadian comedy. And I first saw her, and I'm like, oh, my God, she's so beautiful. And then I saw her in um, the, what was it, the the Christmas Horror Story? Is that yeah. it? Yeah, uh-huh. Yes, I saw her in that. I'm like, oh my god, she does horror. And then um, she was in a film called Boost um, that screened at the Toronto Black Film Festival. Oh, it was about, I'm not sure, maybe three years ago. And so I went to see it um, as press. And she was um, she was going into the event. And I think, was it maybe it was after Darkin? Because I never got to meet her at Darken, the Darken screening at Blood in the Snow. So I saw her at the screening for Boost, this film that she was in. So I was like, should I go say hello? Will she even know who I am? Oh, my God. So I went up to her. And I'm telling you, she's stunning. She's wearing this gorgeous gown, these, like, skyscraper high heels. And I'm like, um, hi, uh, Olenike. <laughs> Canadian, like, um, I don't know if you remember me. she's like oh yeah and she was so lovely and I was like oh my god I just melted she's so nice so then after um you know when she did um she never died then I got to you know talk to her and like she remembers you and like she's just a gem of a person and as well as Audrey Audrey is lovely we've had dinner with her from the film festival like if we were at, we have like these cocktail industry cocktail events at Blood in the Snow and Audrey will see me from across the room and she'd be like Carolyn <laughs> like so lovely so anyway okay that was my fangirl moment and now I've lost my train of thought but anyway let's go on <laughs> no it's fine um i i don't have nothing to add i think you kind of summed it up really nicely when you talked about Lacey having a, having a, a symbolic um, element to her, and that's being this uh, rage that Black women uh, have to continually suppress just to make other, other people feel comfortable. It's interesting, like I, one of the chairs of my department at work, she's um, a white woman herself, but she have been observing her students for the past couple of weeks, and she's doing more, I think, radical work than I think she even realizes um, for the nature of the class. But even she's allowed, she's giving women of color in her class a room. And her, her class does also not only have black women, but it has uh, biracial black women in that class, also Asian women, and also um, Latinx identified women in there as well. And she's giving them the space to be unapologetic about their emotions and especially about their anger. And that's some radical stuff, man. That's, and again, she even, there's even a mandate in her class where she's like, you're not allowed to say I'm sorry after you make a comment. Oh. <laughs> Which even floored me. Because I say, I do that a lot. I'll, I'll, I'll either preface or I'll have an epilogue where I'm just like, I'm sorry. I do that all the time. Because I'm a relatively honest person myself. So... You know, but her saying that was, that was really, that opened my eyes. And I've been, I've been really enjoying being, um, observing her course in that way. And I think that's a part of, that's like one of the first steps into like doing this kind of like anti-racism, anti kind of sexism, anti, all the anti works, you know, to um, kind of eradicate some of these things. And And it starts with us. It starts with the way we not only view the world, but view ourselves and our, and our place in it tied to mm-hmm. our identities. And so I don't know what I was going to say after that. You can keep this in. It's fine. We're not perfect, but like that's, I, again, piggybacking off of 
what you were talking about as far as um, what Lacey also symbolizes, um, that's the kind of way to kind of um, unravel, I suppose, that that rage is giving us room to have that rage and giving us space and being and have, making, I guess, yeah, making a safe space and just make, making it wholly acceptable to do so and, and to not do it, you know, not even to do it for the benefits of others, because sometimes that can be looked at as spectatorship, right? Or uh, for lack of a better term, pornography or and voyeurism of our rage, because that's what people expect us to be mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. Um, again, it's, it's us being in a rage is also a part of our humanization as well, because we're not always in a rage. There's a, there's a concept of being in a constant rage, but also within that rage is joy. Within that rage is sorrow and needing to be hugged and feeling vulnerable. And there's mm-hmm. also feeling like I'm the shit and that confidence. Sometimes it does come out. Like I am not a confident person, but when I talk about, um, you know, how, I'm getting students to, you know, think and, and you know, and, and I'm getting them to learn, be critical thinkers. That's what I, I get a little confident, get a little cocky, you know, <laughs> because it doesn't, because it's not, that's not my personality. It doesn't happen every day. And when I can reach these levels of achievements where I'm helping, where I'm helping other people, because that's kind of like, that's kind of, I think the reason why I'm even here, like that's, that makes me feel good that I'm able to help other people. So. Yeah, absolutely. You summed it up really well because we really, you know, I think that's what that, um, what that professor is doing is incredible because a lot of the times, as you're saying that she's like, you can't, you're not allowed to say, I'm sorry, because we we're always asking for permission to feel how we feel as black women. And well, not always, but I know I am, I, I'm always, you know, worried that I'm going to upset someone or someone's going to be uncomfortable. And like, I'm tired of doing that now because I need to speak my truth and yeah, it's really difficult when you've suppressed that. And I feel like um, a lot of the scenes with Lacey, like you can see it's just brimming under the surface, like her, you know, the suppressing who she is in order to fit in. Like it's so, that's really profound because I feel like that's what as black women as you know where we are like especially if you work in the corporate world or you work in an office or you know we've talked about this before toxic workplaces it's just the suppressing just in order so we can fit in and maybe get paid somewhat equally as our co-workers or our male co-workers so I think that the, the character of, of Lacey is very important in terms of you know the embodiment of suppressing our true feelings but at the same time again she she contains multitudes because she's also very mm-hmm. honest at, like, yeah. even even in that suppression she doesn't hide who she is there's a there's a part of it that's hidden again it's like that we have to do that kind of work because what we see later in the film is she has those two scars like she does she's not a person that scars like she she'll get in she'll get injured but it'll heal very quickly. But the, she talks mm-hmm. about how there's these two marks on her body that will never heal. And mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming we are expected to believe that those are like broken wings or wings that were once there that there we, we are to assume. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and again, that's maybe, yeah, that I think that kind of goes into what you're saying. I think I'm following this logic, right? Because I think that those scars are symbolic of that suppression too. There's a part of her that's not there anymore. There's a part of her that is fully her that's no longer a part of her. And maybe a part of what we're seeing in this film is her grappling with that. I have a hard time believing, well, no, that's not necessarily true. Like, I'm like, because her mode seems so her mode. Like, Pre-wings, mm-hmm. post-wings. Like, it, that seems like who she is, but maybe, maybe not. Like, I don't know. There seems just, there's a piece of her that's missing. And even as she is trying to survive off of human flesh, she's, again, also still managing to do the right thing via vigilante justice, if you can, if you will. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think I, the the scene at the ending, sorry, there's going to, it's a little spoilery, but... um you know, when she's at the uh, laundromat and there's a man, they call him the man in the hat. Um, and right. she kind of, 
Yeah. So she, so throughout the film, Lacey kind of hears voices um, and you're not sure if it's like it's in her head, if it's other beings trying to contact her. Um, and this man in the hat um, finally appears because he's been, a, I, I, I think we're being led to believe he's been appearing to her, but we just haven't seen him yet. And so the man in the hat who, a little aside here, he's played by Lawrence Gowan. Um, and he is actually a, um, a Canadian musician um, who was really popular in the 80s. Uh, he went by the name Gowan. And he was, oh my God, he was like, everybody loved Gowan. Well, I know people in my circles love Gowan. And he used to actually go to the same church as one of my friends. <laughs> so she would see Gowan at church. Anyway, that's an aside. So he appears and he just has this kind of, um, I love, first of all, the the way they, they, they dressed him, the wardrobe. He kind of has this like, um, like a uh, circus, um, uh, is it a ringleader? Is that the the word? Yeah. But I can't. Yeah. He kind of has this kind of this, you know, dapper look with a hat and he just smiles at her. He doesn't say anything. And I feel like he, you know, he's obviously somebody from her past that keeps appearing and she has to reckon with him. Um, and then there's um, kind of a, an open ending for the film, which I kind of I'm mad at because I don't know if we'll ever know, <laughs> you know, if they'll ever make another part to the film. Um, it's I mean, it's doing so well. It's got, a, I think, 100 percent of Rotten Tomatoes. She wow. never died, so maybe that'll push them to do something else with it. But it's very open ended and it kind of makes me think of um, that film, The Prophecy. Yes. Uh, with, with Christopher Walken. I feel like it's within that universe of like angels and, you know, um, looking after what did they call uh, humans? Meat puppets, I think, <laughs> in the prophecy. But anyway, yeah. So, you know, she has this past that kind of haunts her. And, and you know that there's just such a, a deeper person in there, like a very com complex person in there. Yeah, I think. I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's anything else I have to say about this, because, again, it's something we've, of course, of course, we do spoilers, but we also, um, I, I, I would highly encourage people to check this out, especially not just horror fans either, just some people who like uh, supernatural kind of like fantasy, because it feels more like a fantasy film than anything else. It, just, it has horror elements to it, but it, it feels very fantasy driven. Yeah, I think so. I agree. It is like fantasy driven. And yeah, it's it's just a, you know, I mean, you see it on the surface as like a, you know, action fantasy, you know, film with some comedy, but it's just, it is really deep. If you are a woman, you will kind of, um, you will appreciate it, you know, you'll appreciate it. Uh, highly recommend it. Yeah, I think that's about all I have to say about it, too. Um, oh, and to note, Olenike also won the Best Actress Award at um, the 2019 uh, Blood in the Snow Awards, which we call the Bloodies. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm just, it's, yeah, I, I mean, the performances just were, all of them were great. Like, I really loved the um, the uh, chemistry between uh, Terrence and his sister Meredith. It was just so venomous. And then you realize that they're brother and sister, and you're like, my God. <laughs> you know, it's just like a, a venomous relationship. So, yeah, it's a, it's a fun film. Um, I highly recommend it as well. They remind me of the kids who grew up who are filthy rich and really just really completely um, just complete, have a complete break from reality. And this is their hustle. This is probably their family hustle. This is probably a generational thing that they're doing. So not only does she refer to Leahy as an it, again, like going back to what I said earlier, but like, you know, it's, it's that kind of creepy conspiracy theory kind of idea that like the super rich have like no human emotion left because it's all been disintegrated with trauma-based mind control when they were kids. And then they become adults. So they're just complete psychopaths. And this is how they treat other people. Yeah. Yeah. This is what this film feels like. This is why it's scary. <laughs> and I also want to note too, I made a note. I actually forgot about this. 
But you know when Meredith and Lacey are fighting and Lacey's like, oh, she's kind of, you know, remiss about um, killing or uh, um, Meredith because she's like, oh, she's got really good bone marrow. And I thought, <laughs> oh, she wants to actually barbecue the Becky. I'm here all week. For- oh, my God. No, you didn't say. <laughs> that is the funniest thing. Try the veal, folks. (laughs) No, don't try the veal. I'm a vegetarian, so whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, She Never Died is probably going to be the best film release that not enough U.S. people have seen. But hopefully with this uh, little uh, podcast that could, people will hear this and be really interested in seeing it. So it's got, you can take it on a discourse of race. You can take it on a discourse of like every kind of uh, cultural or even sociopolitical. You can frame it within all of these kind of contexts. But at the same time, it's, it's a film you can overly intellectualize. But it's also a film that you can have fun with, that you can play with ideas of like what this what the, what the backstory is what the mythos is this is why this is also this is this will also make a good tv series and also it's also a really funny and again like i said like I, the first my first thought is last night after i watched it, i'm like wow that was so much fun i can't believe carolyn would think i would like this movie i think she, <laughs> i think carolyn loves this movie so much that she's ready to be disappointed she's preparing herself for disappointment that obviously did not happen so there. yes Actually, you nailed it on the head. I'm like, oh my god, I love this movie. I would hate it if Ashley hates it. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so worried. But yeah, I'm so glad you loved it. I'm so glad you loved it. No, it was fantastic. So Ashley, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ashley Takes Note, and um, I'm on the Twitters at uh, VFD Pixie. And this was really, this was being really melanated and we will see y'all next time with another film yay bye bye